Departing from the book of Acts, we're going to be looking at uh, the church and the body of Christ. So we're going to start off in Ephesians chapter, um, well, the end of chapter 3, beginning in 4. But Do I have any sports fans here today? Raise them high, proud. Look at Joe back there. All right, so... I'm in good company because the sports fans are a minority right now, at least the proud ones. Um, but today's Super Bowl, as Pastor Greg said, and I always I was thinking about uh, this morning's message, and one thing that came to mind is that whenever I hear sports fans talk about their teams, they always talk as if they are actually on the team, right? Oh, did you see us win last week? Did you see us get that point? Did you see us do this or do that? It's as if they're actually on the team. And, uh, you know, when, when the team loses, walking around all somber, and I know some people will call out of work the next day because their favorite team lost. They're so bent out of shape. But if they win, you're like pumped and you're just running around the house. You know, do you, do you go around rubbing it in the losers' faces? It's, uh, it's something that's peculiar to me when I watch, because I'm not a huge sports fan. Me and my buddy, we like to call those to participate in uh, fantasy football, playing fairy tale football. So, yeah, it's all a dream. Anyways, now that I've offended most of you, um... My big question today, and it kind of relates to that analogy, is are you coming to church or are you a part of it? Are you coming to church or are you a part of it? And what we find in scripture is that the church is not what you go to, but it is what you are a part of. What we need to know this morning is that God's design for the church is that it is, it is a body. And what the Bible tells us, it is the body of Christ and that you are, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, are a part of it. Knowing God's perspective and his design for the church allows you as an individual to see that you are part of something greater and that your need as a member of the church and your role as a member of the church is clarified. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus. He's talking to two different groups of people. He's talking to the Jews and the Gentiles. And I thought it was fitting that we would be looking into this theme a little bit further because we've been seeing this very thing occurring in the book of Acts. As Gentiles are beginning to receive the gospel message, becoming part of the church, we now have this group of um, heathens, people worshiping false gods, idols, that are coming into this congregation that is, was and was primarily made up of Jews who worshiped uh, Yahweh and, uh, and 
had a very legal relationship with him through the law. But Paul, in talking to the church in Ephesus, he uses a couple of analogies to describe the church, to use to this assembly of Jewish and Gentile followers of Jesus. People from different religions, different backgrounds, different traditions and lifestyles that were now coming to faith in Christ and they were being joined together in Christ. And that first description he uses is there in chapter uh, 2, verse 19. If you're there, uh, say amen. It says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. God has broken down what separated the Jew and the Gentile, uh, allowing for all who would place their faith in Christ to be received or to receive forgiveness of sins and be included, as we are seeing here, as fellow citizens and saints, or with the saints and members of the household of God. And he begins his analogy here saying, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, and in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So this first description, this first analogy of, of the building of God's church is described as Jews and Gentiles being fitted together on the foundation of Jesus and growing into a holy temple or being built up. Now this temple, both Jew and Gentile would have an idea of what a temple was about. They believed that that was where the presence of that God dwelt. For the Jew, it was where the, the Spirit of God resided. And it was where God was in the midst of them as in the time of the tabernacle and then in the temple times. So they understood that it represented the very presence of God in the midst of them. The, the Gentile would have saw it as a place of worship and a place to go and honor the gods uh, that they had worshipped. But Paul is saying, hey, you all are being fit together. You all from every different background, every different situation are being put together into one building in which the Spirit of God would dwell. That gives us a greater clarity on what God is, how God views the church. That is, the people gather together in which the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. But we know that the Holy Spirit dwells in each one of us, but he is amongst us as we gather together. It was a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. And that, that Spirit of God moves and works and acts. And as we will look, he gifts each individual member. When you think of the analogy of a temple, you just think about bricks building up a structure. But Paul will go on to elaborate further this analogy of the church as a body, which speaks of growth, it speaks of maturity, it speaks of movement, it speaks of individual parts working together for life. So look at Ephesians chapter 4 with me. As we follow Paul and his clarification, or not his clarification, but his, his explanation of, of the church. 
chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Paul, after exhorting this this church, now encourages them to walk worthy of the calling in which you were called. He exhorts this church of the Jews and the Gentiles in and to walk worthy of this calling. And this would be displayed in how they related to one another, endeavoring to keep the unity or the oneness of the Spirit. The Spirit has united them and given them peace between each other, and they were to endeavor to keep it. They both have the Spirit of God dwelling in them, both Jew and Gentile, and it makes for their peace. But he points out there in verse 4 that there is one body and one spirit. This is the, the body speaking of the church. Those who follow Jesus, those who have received him as, as Savior, have become part of this, this great body of Christ. And there is one spirit that is functioning in and through them. He points out that they have one hope, and it's on that on the Lord Jesus Christ, and that trusting in Him, that one faith and that one baptism, that they were all saved. They were united in that very fact, that that embracing of that gospel message, and that there was one God and Father of all, one God. For all men. That there isn't some separate God for the Jew. There's not some separate God for the Gentile. But one God who created all things. Who was above all. And through all. And in you all. Important foundation. In which we are to proceed in our relationships with one another. He goes on in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to, the, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, <clears throat> he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might all things. So what Paul is doing here is he's creating this theological foundation for which the church, the individuals, will relate to one another. He's pointing out chiefly that we are all saved by grace through faith through one Savior, Jesus Christ, and God who is the Lord of all things. And he goes on to point out, and, and it's almost kind of... <clears throat> I, don't know, I love this little part here in verse 7. But he says to each one of us, each individual, each part of the church, each grace is given. We each have grace from God specifically for us. Isn't that kind of cool to think about? 
And how that manifests itself is in different giftings, different ways in which the Lord has, in His calling, has joined us to the church and has given us these giftings for His special purpose, to be used in the body of Christ. And Paul uses an Old Testament scripture out of the Psalms, in Psalm 68, to, to point this out. And I don't know if you're like me, but when I read some of these cross-references that the apostles use, I'm looking at them like, what? You know, I'm trying to understand what's going on. But if you, what's really helpful is when you do come across these things, it, go and read them. Go read not just the one verse, but the whole chapter. And what is awesome about this that I love is that when you read this Psalm 68, what it is is it's speaking of the Messiah as the victor over all Israel's enemies. He's the conqueror of all the enemies. He's the one who, who has brought freedom to Israel. But what's interesting is when you read it in the context there in Psalm 68... It says, and when he ascended on high, verse 18, he led captivity captive and he received gifts from men. You see, the victor, the one who won the war, was the one who received the gifts. You're like, well, why is Paul changing the word here? To highlight the greatness of our Savior. In that when he came and he died and he was buried and he rose again, that when he left and he ascended into heaven, he didn't just receive all the praise, glory, honor due to his name. He turned around and he blessed us with gifts. He blessed us with uh, things to do within the church. Things, uh, opportunities, ministries that he has called each and every single one of us to be a part of. Christ came and he died and he buried and rose again, ascending to heaven so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Remember Jesus, I didn't come to take away the law, but to fulfill it. But also in John 16, 7, he talks about the spirit. Let's turn there real quick. I didn't put that down as a cross reference. John 16, verse 7. Where Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. When Jesus ascended, he had promised to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to us. And so that's why it is important to understand the process of all of these things. The to know that God, all that Jesus had done upon the cross wasn't just only for our salvation, though that's a huge part of it, but to transform us, to give us new purpose, new life, to give us gifts to be a part of His body within this world. Look at verse 11 with me. It says, And He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, 
to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things, grow up in all things to him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now God, or Paul tells us here, that when Jesus ascended, that he gave gifts to men. And it says in verse 11 that he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. We see that these gifts that God has given to some are these gracious endowments to be able to minister to others. The Lord has gifted certain people within the church. And he's, Paul points them out as the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Pastors could also be uh, translated shepherds. They're ones who keep over the, the body of Christ. They, they tend to, they make sure they're fed, that they're also teachers in that way. So you can be a teacher and not a pastor or a shepherd, but you can't be a pastor and not be a teacher. You can't be a shepherd and not a teacher. And so, but we see these gifts as gifts of leadership. A leader whose ability sustains and guides the unity of God's people. That's what the chief leadership is for. That's what the Lord has equipped some to do within the church. And because we understand these leaders' roles as gifts from God, the honor of these roles wasn't earned, but it was gifted. So everyone who, is, who, who seems to be in a leadership role was only there because God has given them that opportunity. It wasn't something that they went and they earned. It's, it's different than our Western culture. Who, who seeks out prominent positions for the authority or the, or the uh, recognition or the money. They seek out the prominent positions, uh, even to the point that it has a bad rep for stepping on people's toes sometimes to get where you're going. It's at the, advan- uh, uh, at the expense of other people. But when we understand that these leadership roles are roles that God has called and gifted others to, we, honor, we, we know where the honor comes from. It's from the Lord. And all these people, these gifts that Christ, we're told, are for the equipping of the saints. These, these roles that God has called to the church is for equipping the saints. And why are they being equipped? Well, they're being made ready or, or, or to be completed for the work of ministry, for serving, for the building up of the body of Christ. And as we look at this 
this uh, analogy of the body a little bit further. We'll, we'll develop that some more. But they're equipping the church. And to what are they equipping it for? Well, Paul shows us that it's for maturity. To bring about maturity. Till we come to the unity or oneness of the faith. So these men and these, these people with the giftings of, of teaching and pastoring, of, of evangelism and, and prophecy, these apostles, their focus is upon the body of Christ. And the unity of the body of Christ. Teaching them of the faith. The oneness of the knowledge of the Son of God. That we come to know Christ in the same way. And understand Him as His word is revealed in. To a perfect man or a mature man. So you have the body, this, this image of a body. Uh, we think of a young child as disproportioned or, or uh, awkward. And then we see a full-grown man and, and, and recognize maturity in a physical sense. And to the point that we the, the goal is that we would be matured to the stature of the fullness of Christ. So as they minister with the gifts of the Spirit... We're seeing a church that is growing to look more and more like Christ. Kind of like a young boy that finally is like, you know, checking the, the you know, ruler or whatever, the measuring, the, the notch on the doorpost to see if they've grown some more because they're so excited. You know, finally reaching that at the, the height of their own father. It's so too with the church. We want to be excited to grow into the image and, the, uh, and to look more of, uh, and achieve the stature of Christ. And in verse 14, you notice he, he pulls out a, another imagery. We, we're comparing maturity with, with immaturity, not in a, in a um, you know, in a physical sense is how he's using it. He goes, uh, that we should no longer be children, or some translations can say babies, tossed to and fro, about, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plot and plotting. You know, because the aim of this gifting to uh, bring maturity, to teach and encourage the church and growth is so that they don't remain babies. So that, because underdeveloped babies are helpless. You get the image of a baby that's out on the sea, tossed about to and fro by every wind. Babies aren't meant to be in boats out in the water by themselves. You know, look what happened to Moses. I'm just kidding. I just thought of that right now. But children or babies, those who are underdeveloped, they, they lack maturity and they're easily stumbled. And Paul uses this illustration of a baby's body, tossed about, carried about. They're deceived. They're easily gullible. You can do silly tricks like this and, and make them think that you pulled the tip of your thumb off. And they fall for it. They're easily taken advantage of. And, and man, what wickedness pervades our world today because of that. And he uses this illustration to point out the maturity of the church and the maturity in which God has called some in the church to 
minister to bring about maturity and unity of faith. Christians who are newer in the faith, they're babes in the faith. They need care, they need instruction, they need protection from the harm that's around them. And what harms them is doctrines that are contrary to the gospel. Doctrines that uh, teachers will bring in that would bring or that would cause these young believers to be uh, taken away and deceived. They're described as, as trickery, craftiness, and deception. And so the Lord equips the church with those that are watching out for the safety of the church who are teaching, causing growth. In verse 15, they speak the truth in love. This is the heart that the Lord gives a leader that's called to that position. A gift to speak the truth out of love for who they're ministering to. And this is being set in contrast with those who would seek to deceive and to defraud a young Christian. But the purpose of it all is to grow into the head, which is Christ. See, Christ is, uh, Paul had said earlier on in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 22, it says he puts all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. See, what's being described here is a church body of of believers that are being uh, matured to the point that they are in proportion to the head that leads them. So, for example, you see a toddler walking around. And they have kind of a big head and a little body. Right? And they just fall and tumble. And they're, I, I remember when the boys were young and they, they would fall over and hit their head on the table or run into the hospital or something, you know, and trying to get, figure out, like, you know, did they, did they need stitches? And they're in, unstable. They're immature. Their bodies are too little for their heads. <laughs> but the aim of these Christian leaders, this, this role, this gifting, is that we, we might see the body matured in such a way that it balances with Christ as the head. They are able to follow. You see a full-grown man, especially athletes, if that's the theme of the day, you know, who have trained and that body can function and move exactly how the head wants it to move, to perform, to respond, But they do this through love. So when you have your leaders within the church ministering, speaking truth to you, it's out of love. And in verse 16, he moves from what seems to be just this only these, these leaders here that he highlighted at the beginning And he begins to talk about what every joint supplies. Let's look here. Verse 16, it says, From whom the whole body, Christ, the head, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, 
according to the effective working by which every part does its share. So we're looking from whom Christ, the whole body, the church, is joined and knit together by what every joint, which I see as the person, by every person, supplies or uses the gifts of grace that they've received from the Lord. By every part carrying out its design, it produces growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. As one commentator said, it is a living organism, and its growth is produced by vital power within itself. Love from those gifted by the Spirit to lead the body, to maturity, love, and love through which every part does its share. Every part. Paul notes that every part, every member of the church has a share in this process of growth. Not just those that are equipped as leaders. They are to watch out for that growth, to protect it, to encourage it, to teach it, to to, uh, continue to uh, build the church, giving them all the resources that they can. But the growth overall, that's only one aspect. Growth also includes everything that the rest of the body does. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is going to continue using this body analogy or metaphor, however you want to say it, to describe the church as a whole. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 1. If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So Paul, again, speaking to Gentiles, and you just see, as he's addressing people, you see his call as an apostle. You see how he's confronting with truth, uh, deception, warning against deception. Uh, His heart is to protect these newer believers. And Paul is doing this as he's just talking to the Gentiles here. And he goes, I don't want you to misunderstand the reason or the purpose of the Spirit I know that you are bringing some baggage in with you from how you used to live your life, uh, the the ways you used to worship false idols. uh, And there could be a a misunderstanding that will occur on your part or something that would uh, be said by a false teacher that could uh, draw you away. And so I want to give you clarification about the Holy Spirit and how it works in the congregation of the church. And he writes in verse 4, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So we see here that this word gift, there are diversities of gifts. 
It comes from the, it's the Greek word uh, charis maiden. And it's the it's a it's root word you might remember or recognize. It's is charis. It's the it's translated grace in English. It's where we get our word grace. So we see that these gifts are by grace. These are gracious giftings from God, favor bestowed upon a person without any merit. They didn't earn it. There wasn't something necessarily special about them. But we learn later on that that the Holy Spirit distributes these gifts according to His will. And what Paul is pointing out here, if you see the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God, is that this is the working of the Godhead to equip people within His church with grace to carry out different ministries, activities, and to bear certain gifts. And the key thing that we want to point out here is in verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Paul points out that it is all the members of the church who are gifted in some way or another. In some way to minister to the other members of the church. Just like a body. Here, in verse 8 through 10, we see Paul listing out some of those gifts. Now, if you notice, I'm not delving deeply into these gifts. That's to hopefully entice you to hang out afterwards, in which we're going to go into these gifts and look at them closely. But these are some of the gifts that are given to profit others. Look at verse 8 with me. It says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, and to another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works in all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. You see the importance of the individual in the church? That God desires to work in each one of you who are here present today. But don't miss why these are given. At the beginning of verse 7, it says, or at the end of verse 7, for the profit of all. Everyone is to be profited by these giftings. To be better for it. To be better, to be bettered by it. You using your gift. And for you to be bettered by somebody using their gift. The gift is given to a person. The gift that is given to a person is not for their own personal advantage. But it's, uh, or, or for even a select group of people. Or a subgroup of the church. 
but is for the benefit of the whole body, is what Paul is saying. These gifts are not, a, uh, not something that a person earned or even necessarily desired in some ways, but it is solely distributed by the will of the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you respond to something like this? Okay, Lord, you know, you've given gifts like this. Well, one, if you are the recipient of a gift, you should be humble. Wow. God, I don't deserve to be used by you like this. In this way. You should be honored. Wow, God, you used me. You used me. And you should be honed in. Wow, Lord, I want to be ready to be used by you. I don't want to be distracted by other things. I want to be waiting upon you. But what does this tell us about these gifts? It also shows to us that not one gift is greater than another. Because it is the same Spirit doing the gifting according to His will He distributes. Let's look at verse 12 right now. It says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and all have been made to drink into, the one spirit, into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. See, Paul is going to continue to develop this analogy of the church as the body of Christ. One body having many members, and all the members make up that one body. And he says, this is like the church, the body of Christ. Remember, Christ is the head. Remember that the members of the church, they make up the body. They're so vitally connected to one another and connected to the head. No matter who you are, those that come to Christ, all that come to him through the same, they all come, we all come through the same means of salvation and become part of this body. That's what Paul is getting at in that first few verses. But look at verse 15. So we understand, we have this down. We have Christ the head, we have the church, the body, and the body is made up by many members. So, Paul's going to take us down a couple of, of, of ideas here, questions, things that could occur when talking about the body of Christ. In verse 15, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the smelling? Where would be the smelling? But, God, but now God has set the members of each one of them in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? God has designed the diversity of the church. He has set the members in the body, each one as he pleased. So what does this mean for you? You cannot look at another person and say, because I am not like them, I must not be needed here. 
Because I don't, because I can't get up on stage and play an instrument, I probably shouldn't be here. Or you can't look at them and go, I wish they were like them. I wish I was able to work with kids the same way they do and connect with them. Or, on the more drastic sense, you can't look at another person's gifts and say, I must not have purpose because I'm not like so-and-so. You can't do it. God already says that he has brought you here for a specific reason and a purpose. And it's not to compare yourself to another person. God doesn't give gifts haphazardly, but intentionally. God has set the members, or it can be translated, carefully arranged the members. You have meaning and purpose despite how you feel. Look at verse 20 with me. But now indeed there are many members yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God has composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, so that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. By God's design, there are many members, yet one body. What's this mean for you? You can't look at another person and their gifting and think or say, you are not needed. You can't make that judgment call. You, you can't look at them and go, you're really a hindrance to the growth of my ministry. I don't need you. Or you're too weak. You take too much of my time. You're only slowing me down. You can't look at another person in the church and go, I could function better without you. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? That's putting words to this this imagery of the head looking to the feet and saying, I don't need you. Just because feet are not necessarily the most prettiest things doesn't mean that they aren't part of the body. But on the contrary, we are called, you are called to recognize that God has placed each individual in the body for a reason and that you actually need the gifting that God has given them and vice versa. They are just as important to the body as you are. Paul uses terms like unpresentable and less honorable to describe parts of the body that are vitally necessary but aren't necessarily visible. Compare the heart to the eyes. We see eyes. They come in a wide array of colors, an array of colors. and They're beautiful to look into and see and and. The details, you know, if you've ever seen a photograph of eyes up close, it's, they're amazing. 
And then you see a, a heart flopped out on the table, beating and bloody and just kind of gross. But the heart is so vital to life. Without the heart, there is no body. There is no life. God has done this for a purpose, we see in verse 24. God has composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. That there should be no schism or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. The point is, is that there is no room for division in the church. Unfortunately, that hasn't been the case over the centuries. We found many reasons and things to divide over, but that's not how God created it to be. We see that trouble in one part of the body, even physically, affects the whole body. When you got a headache, sometimes you just got, as much as your feet want to go and as much as your hands need to do, you got to go sit down and, and relax for a minute. We have the presentable parts caring for the unpresentable parts, producing harmony and unity in the church. And what's interesting here is the word care, it carries the meaning of anxious care. Isn't that interesting? Paul personifies the parts of the body as if each one is anxious for the other. Think about that. You ever feel that stirring in your heart to pray for somebody? You know they're going through something? That's the Holy Spirit moving. Do you ever feel that stirring in your heart to rejoice when you see the Lord working in somebody's life? That's the Holy Spirit working. You have anxious care, concern for the others. So what now? How do, how do we discover what God has called and gifted us to do? Let's look at Romans chapter 12. Starting in verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The first thing that we need to do is we need to present ourselves to God. By His mercies, by His compassions, the compassions that he's shown us through Jesus as a living sacrifice. Now, that's a kind of an oxymoron in some ways, you know. A sacrifice is meant to be killed. It's, its life was to be taken. But we're to present ourselves as, as dead to ourselves, but alive to Christ, living unto him. Romans 6.16 says, Do you not know that whom you present yourselves slave to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey? whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. Presenting yourself to the Lord, you are that one slave to obey, a living sacrifice, but also set apart, holy, well-pleasing to the Lord. 
And this is the type of worship that comes from the soul, one who has received from the Lord. It's reasonable. This is the natural outcome of somebody who is in love with Jesus and has presented themselves to him. I always think of, when I think of worship and when we're leading worship, Lord, it's my prayer. Lord, let us sing in response to what we have received from you. I don't want to be up here just singing a song. I don't want to just sing a melody and a tune and words. I want it to be the prayer of my heart. I want it to be the response, my response to all that Jesus has been. The second thing, well, first thing was to present yourself to God. The second one is to be transformed in your mind. Stop being influenced in your thinking by the world. Thinking like those who do not know God. But allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to transform your thinking. To make you into a new person. Completely different. It's what Jesus spoke about to Nicodemus. About being born again. In John chapter 3. And then Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. This word transformed, it implies a radical, thorough, and universal change, both outward and inward. Be transformed in the renewing of your mind. But then in verse 3, let's continue reading. It says, For I say, though, the grace of God given me, through the grace of God given me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a a measure of faith. And point number three is to have a realistic view of yourself. Don't think more highly than you ought to think of yourself. But to think soberly, that is to have a sound mind that's uninfluenced or drunk with pride. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. God has gifted each person in the church. They are members of his body. And then verses 4 and 5. Let's look at what those say. As we have many members in one body. But all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one in Christ. And individually members of one another. Recognize your place in the body. Recognize the diversity, but also understand the reality that we are one body. You have a gift that others need, and they have gifts that you need. And in verse 6 through 8, having gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Use your gift. That's the final point right there. Use your gift. Because they are different. They need to be used. They all have purpose and design. How do you find out what the Spirit has gifted you to do? First, I say pray. Ask the Lord to show you. Gather with the church and begin serving. That's how you discover things. Because the the Spirit distributes as He wills. The gifts are also for the profit of all, 
It's where they are expressed chiefly, and they are most active when the body is gathered together. So gathering together with the church begins serving. And serving doesn't look like, it doesn't, it's not excluded, it doesn't just look like joining children's ministry, though there are always opportunities to join children's ministry. It means looking for somebody that might have a heavy spirit and needs prayer. It might mean allowing the Lord to move in you to go and connect with one of the other members of the church and pray for them, encourage them, exhort them, share a word of scripture. I'm so blessed when somebody does that, they leave a little scripture for me or they hand me something like that. How encouraging is that? It keeps me going. You can also explore in greater detail these gifts by hanging out after service this week and next as we dive into these gifts. But I want to close on this note. The church is not something that you come to, but it is something that you are a vital part of as a follower of Jesus. You are gifted by God and placed here by Him to profit others and to profit from the gifts that he has given them. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you worked out this whole church thing. Because if it was left up to us, man, you already warned us about all the things that could happen. Division, Lord, uh, you know, pride, arrogance. Lord, but you were so good that you didn't leave us orphans, but you sent us a helper, the Spirit. Lord, you've gifted us in the things that we need to grow in maturity in you. Lord, you are worthy to be praised. I pray, Lord, that for each one here this morning, that we wouldn't uh, vacillate anymore about, uh, about these things of service, but we would dig in Further, Lord, and, and, and understand, Lord, what you have called us to do and to walk in it. Lord, that we as a church, Lord, and as your church uh, globally, Lord, would grow more and more into the image of Jesus. That the way we act, the way we talk, the things that we, we do, Lord, that there would just be A move, Lord, in this world, Lord, to see others come to know you. Lord, I pray that you would um, disturb us for those things that are of you, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.